It is I, the Rogue Capitalist here, and welcome back to another episode. This week, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence once more. Because with the rate the world is moving, with all these emerging technological trends that are being unveiled to the public as we speak, a lot of the things that we know are no longer that relevant anymore. We have reached a point where Google search is no longer as efficient as it was in the past where we didn't really have that many tools to use to solve most of our problems. Fast forward to today, we have ChatGPT, we have people using automated tools to carry out the search that they need. Many software engineers such as myself, we have uh, automated tons of our processes to ensure that a lot of the information that we need on a daily basis is given to us without us even moving a finger. So the rate that things are moving, a lot of people are very concerned about the jobs that they have, about the future world that they'll be living in. And if you want to find out how the world will be, you should really check out my book, Rogue Capitalist. In that book, I highlight ways in which you can safeguard your liberties along with build wealth because this changing world order, the new world order as we live in, is very different compared to the world in which the baby boomers, the millennials, the post-World War II era, is a completely different world. The era in which you can work a job and live in retirement is soon going to be over. Every country has progressively been moving the goalposts further. They've been moving the goalposts from a certain age, let's say you're 60, and then they move it to 62. So your retirement age is constantly being moved gradually without you even knowing what's even happening at all. Many people are well aware. The big reason why is because allegedly, Social Security has run out of money. It's estimated in the United States that by 2032, Social Security will be out. There'll be no money in there. And I read a book recently by Robert Kiyosaki called Who Stole My Pension? And if you really want to find out more about your pension, I highly suggest you read that book because there's a big reason why the finance bros or the finance industry with all these hedge funds, private equity, capital firms, where do they get their money from? Because you have to understand that hedge funds, VCs, all that, they can't create money out in there. They can only get money from somewhere. So someone has to pass them the money that they have so that they can use it to speculate or invest in emerging technology trends or certain funds that they see can work towards a more safe investment for people who are who tend to retire when they turn 60, hoping that they have a pension that they can pay themselves with. But with the book, I realized that it has been a big problem, especially in Singapore, the CPF system, which is the Central Provident Fund. So Singapore Social Security works in a way in which the Singaporeans would contribute a certain sum out of their paycheck every month, and then the employer will also contribute a certain amount based on what you contribute based on your salary. So it's something which, unless you work in HR, or unless you work in CPF itself, the CPF board, the Central Provident Fund board, you will know the inner workings of how this pension fund system works. And so a lot of Singaporeans over the years, which is... Uh, Ever since I was very young, I would say around the age of 
eight, nine years old. I often hear this from the, the people I grew up with, the parents of my childhood friends. These guys are entrepreneurs, you know, top level executives, high level military. They often tell me something regarding pensions. They, they would talk about it during dinner time or when they have gatherings, because most of us will have gatherings together. Be it Chinese New Year, be it certain public holidays, we all get together and discuss stuff. So over the years, as I got older, I would naturally understand more of their conversations. So whenever they talk about CPF, or they talk about pension system, let's just call it the pension system. In Singapore context, we call it the CPF system. They always talk about how there is no money in the overall CPF system. At the time, I was not that financially literate. My knowledge of finance was limited to the pocket money that I received from my parents. I, I wasn't that really into understanding how the economy works and how capital flows, etc., etc. Investing came about 10 years later when I was 18, 19, when I was legal enough to open my own stock account. And so when I naturally learned about the CPS system is that most people blindly follow it. I would say the 80-20 rule, like Pareto principle, right? 80% of the population believes that there will be a pension waiting for them at the end of their working years. So when they no longer have to work or they no longer are required to work, let me just phrase it that way, they'll be receiving a chunk of their pension given to them on a monthly basis. So you think of it as a continued salary without working because they're too old, they can't move around, etc. So they'll be receiving this money from their pension system, their CPS system every single month when they reach the minimum retired age, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what they call it. So I believe this age is currently 67 years old. In the past, it used to be 65. And before that, maybe even earlier, they could, they could officially start retiring and take out money from the CPF system that Singapore has in play. So far, this system has worked. But the thing is that I often hear conversations from the elders in my estate that such a system will not last forever. Because you have to understand that when a system or like an organization is built first, they often have honest principles. You get it? They built this organization. The founder, along with his founding team, they really have set the standard. They set the culture this exact way. And so that means that over time, Singapore is around 55 years old. If I'm not mistaken. I, don't, I, I really can't remember how old my country is. 50-something years old. So far, it's worked. It has worked for the past 50 years. But let's say we reach year 100 or year 80, year 100. A lot of things will change. Because you look at the way that society has progressed with the current climate of uh, liberalism, of the of the, the, the woke agenda, whatever you want to call it. The brightest of our minds, especially in Singapore context, is that we always like to employ scholars. I would say people who are academically gifted. Because we all know that people who come from old money, who come from money, they don't usually take up spots in public service. Like they might be close to it. They might maybe spend a stint three years, five years, etc. But it's part of their official title in some certain business that they're running. You get what I mean? And so these scholars, right, are very susceptible to getting influenced in the institution that they are part of. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I highly suggest you research something known as the Tavistock Institute and understand everything you need to know about the General Education Board by Rockefeller and how this General Education Board actually rolls out and has roots over 
most of the top universities in the world. Because when you think about top universities in the world, what comes to your mind? You think of Yale, you think of Harvard, you think of Oxford, you think of uh, UCLA, you think of University of Chicago, Wharton School of Business, etc. You know, if you live in Asia, you probably think of University of Tokyo. You probably think of the Hong Kong National University. You probably think of Seoul National University, Yonsei University, Awa Women's University, and uh, Peking University in China. You think about it, it comes that way. Currently now, Singapore's National University of Singapore is rising up the ranks. It's probably going to be, if I'm not mistaken, it's really it's top 20 in the world. I don't think it is. Maybe top 30. Let's just put it that way. It might be top 20, top 10, if in the eventually when it, in probably five, 10 years time. So this Tavistock University, like many might think that it's a school of social engineering. It's yes and no. I do believe that schools in general train people to think a certain way, right? You go to school, not to learn things that you want to learn. You learn things that what the system wants you to learn. Get what I mean? By any means, you can have your own opinion whether you go there to be indoctrinated or you go there to actually learn something that is important towards what you're doing. But then, for me, I, I'm not a very big fan of uh, public school education. I am the kind of person that would like to learn from people. That's why over the years, even though I went to university, I never even spent four years there. I, I took the fastest way, which was to graduate in a year because of certain exemptions in Australia, etc. Came back, I was under the guiding arms of a top-level engineer in the defense industry. I was under him. I learned a lot of stuff. Eventually, I started my business, which is a family business. I'm the second generation. I learned from my dad. And now... Most of the time, everything thing that I've done, learning, playing how to play golf, going to the gym, swimming, playing card games. The only time in which I picked it up myself is when I play card games. It's when I naturally play it, learn it from watching people play. So essentially, the people that I watched taught me how to play the game on a high level. But everything else, be it playing golf, be it as an engineer, as an entrepreneur, as a restaurant owner, as a food business owner, and as a writer, I, I've learned it all by having mentors. Real, real, real education as what Robert Kiyosaki would say. And you learn a lot of things from being under real educators instead of people who are theoretically right all the time. That's why I've never really had any... I can't really get along with the teachers in my, in my entire education life because I don't really see anything from them that I can learn. The only thing I can learn is that if I do well to get my good grades, then my teacher will praise me. It's that kind of education that I really want. So that's why I made my, my decision from a very young age. There was no way I'm going, to, I'm going to walk that path. I'm more or less going to go to the route in which I hands-on experience and learn everything that I need to know. And so when all these people who get educated in elite schools, which are NUS, National University of Singapore, will eventually become an elite school one day, probably in the next five to ten years, they are taught with this mantra of doing what's best for society, right? That's the mindset they're going to have. So this current agenda of climate change with uh, wokeism and liberal ideologies and all these very progressive doctrines that come from the Tavistock Institute, they're going to be in, in, instilled and ingrained into the future scholars of Singapore. They're going to be instilled in them and their mindset will change. Not really change, it will be influenced because I will believe that they are born a certain way. 
especially all that pounding of education, all that schools that they've been to, it will change who they are as a person. So when they graduate as a scholar in the Singapore civil service or whatever you want to call it, they will be given a golden path, a path in which the central planners have planned for them. Because everybody who is part of the system, unless you're you're an entrepreneur, has really a path in the corporate world, etc., etc. So this scholar will move eventually. Let's say this scholar is trained in the arts of economics. He's uh he studied accounting and finance. Then he'll probably go through the route of the civil service accountant route. So you'll see his career go through the IRAs, which is equivalent to the IRAs in America. If you're not mistaken, it's the tax authority. And then most likely he'll go into the Ministry of Finance. He'll most likely be a secretary or like a policymaker. And then if he performs well enough, he, he might move up to the central bank. And from there, he might flip-flop in between nationalized institutes in Singapore, such as the Developmental Bank of Singapore, DBS. He might even go into UOB or go into HSBC, which are banks based in Asia. Big banks, which are essentially part of the government. You think what I mean? And sometimes, some way, he's thinking because of the way that he has experienced it with the people that's around him, with the echo chamber of fellow scholars, he will believe that if he were to manage funds in a pension fund, he will want to invest in something that is sustainable and good for humanity. And guess what he'll do? He'll probably take the pension fund and speculate it with his friends who are in hedge funds who are also speculating on certain ESG-related stuff. So you, so you get what I mean? It's a cycle that repeats itself. And so whenever people were to speculate on certain things, like recently you look at the crypto debacle with FTX, with Luna, etc. People who invested in FTX all lost their shirts. And many pension funds or state-owned enterprises or hedge funds, whatever you want to call it, state-owned government investment, whatever you want to call it, they lost their money in FTX or they lost their money in certain crypto projects, three arrows, etc. And guess what happened? They can just write it off and forget about it. Because to them... It's not their money. You get what I mean? They are really making money from the fact that they invest in it. It's something called AUM, Assets Under Management, a term that you really have to go into and understand. So the entire science of a scholar, especially with all the doctrines that he's indoctrinated with, he will eventually become subservient to the state. He'll do what's best based on his belief system, which is sustainable ESG, climate change, whatever you call it. Uh, more more liberal, more woke, more, you get what I mean? And so he's, from a standpoint of an economist who's trained in the Keynesian art, which is the, the wealth effect, the modern monetary theory, the, the wealth effect, as you want to call it, he will believe that an expansionary monetary policy is good for everyone. Because when he looks around, around him, he don't see Austrian economists. He don't see Ludwig von Mises telling him what to do. He doesn't see Frederick L. Hayek or he doesn't even bother reading books from Frederick R. Hayek. And then you look at him, he doesn't even know that Adam Smith and Milton Friedman even exist. And so his mindset is geared towards the Keynesian approach. And I won't blame him. Everyone in the central bank also thinks the same way. Everyone in big government also thinks the same way. And so his policies will be, okay, you know what? Inflationary. Expand, expand, expand. Because everybody will prosper in the end. And so ultimately, if the pension fund system, which relies on the state-funded money, runs out, it means that nobody have their pension. And who are the ones that walk away with it? The guys who are managing this money, AUM, Assets Under Management. 
So while everyone who loses their money thanks to a pension, thanks to the CPF, they lose all their money, the ones who manage their money, the guys moving money around, move to the hedge fund. And the hedge fund, because they now have the money, is under assets, under management. They collect a fee every single year. And we all know that their fees are insane. And so this is a perpetual cycle that will happen until eventually it will land on our shores. And I do believe that it's going to be a very catastrophic effect. Probably in Singapore, this kind of thing is cushioned really well. But in other countries, in Europe, in America, in other parts of the world, it might be much worse than the current scenario in Singapore. And that's why after so many years, I finally understand that when my seniors or the elders tell me that there is no money in the pension system, and when you get old enough, there will be nothing left for you. I really understand now. And I do understand the sentiment by many older folks. The older folks, they really believe that there is no money in there. But as for, for, as for, for right now, as they're leaving, they're still getting money from it every single month. That is great. But how about my generation? I'm about to reach 30. By the time that I want to take out money from the CPF, it'll be 40 years from now. Guess what happens? They might push the retirement age to 70, 72, 74. And guess what? 40 years from now, it'll be a totally different Singapore. It'll be year 100 of Singapore's birthday. The money will run out. It'll be probably managed by different bureaucrats who are different from the founding father, different from Lee Kuan Yew's era where everybody is responsible, hardworking, and willing to move the needle. The current generation still moves the needle, but I can't say the same for the future generations because of, from what I can see with the people I interact with, I really think that Singapore's golden age might be coming to an end really soon. So this might be a very, uh, I'll say, uh, I forget what's the word. So basically, it's very thought-provoking. People might not like it. But you have to understand, every empire falls. And if you want to observe how empire falls, just look at currency debasement. Gold coins, coins that are being used in the olden eras. And you finally understand why. The currency gets smaller and smaller. The, the, the coins get mixed with copper and make it less valuable. Gold coins, silver coins. So what will happen in Singapore in another 40 years? I do think that the bull run is eventually going to come to an end. Yeah, that's what I think. And the next topic we're going to talk about, China says chatbots must tow the party line. So what does this mean? I've been talking about this for the past few episodes. Is that AI is only as accurate as the data fed to it. So that means that in China, they're going to move towards a point where their AI is only as efficient as the data they feed to it. That means that it's going to be a pro-China AI. And for many people who are very uh, upset or they are very concerned with how AI can affect their lives, I can tell you one thing. Not every industry, not every domain will be very AI heavy. What I mean is that even though AI, general purpose, general purpose AI, they'll be trained with certain data sets to give you an intended result. Not every AI is the same. You understand? Some AIs may be trained to be just good at financial forecasting. Some AI might be very good at managing your manufacturing plan. Some AI may be really good at creating YouTube videos. Some AI may be really good at adjusting the thermostat in your house. Some AI may be really good at ensuring that no robberies can take place because you can, you can obfuscate and change your passcode anytime you want, change your fingerprint as any as time you want. 
So you understand that AI, right, will not be, there might be a, a main massive AI. I do believe that the defense industry may have already have such a system in place because we all understand that most of the key innovations are really created in the shadows by the defense industry before it gets rolled out to the public to consume. So for China, they want an AI that only fits their narrative. Well, you have to understand one thing, is that I learned something very important when Facebook came to Singapore. Facebook, as in Meta, they have an office in Singapore. It is the, if I'm not mistaken, it's the regional headquarters. And so Meta has a very beautiful office at Singapore's prime financial district at Marina One. It's a really big, beautiful building. Compared to architectural from the past, it might not be as beautiful. What I'm trying to say is that if Facebook can be given such a prime real estate, it means that they are here for a certain reason. And you guys are wondering how big tech can influence the way people think. This is not old news. This is actually, wait, this is old news. What am I saying? This is old news. Because when Meta came to Singapore, I noticed one thing is that every time people from, people were to comment on a Facebook post by Lee Sen Long, which is the Prime Minister of Singapore, or they were to comment on some bureaucrat in Singapore, a lot of these comments will be filtered. A lot of these comments will instantly display what they want you to see, which is they portray our leaders in a very good light. And this is understandably so. Because if you really want to understand how big tech works, is that they are a business. And their biggest business is always business with government. Right? Business with government is always the best business. Because that means that it's recurring revenue every single year. Because the government is going to pump in a certain amount of money to the organization to ensure that it works. And we all know Facebook passed as lifelong 2004 before it got before it got wiped into the memory hole. Facebook was actually intended to be Project Lifelock and then eventually became Facebook. Something you have to do your research. Go research Project Lifelock. So Facebook is essentially an extension of the defense industry. It's meant to hold the archive of everyone's information. And so Facebook came to Singapore. They got a very nice office. And I believe that they are given preferential prefen, pref, trip. I just butchered that. Preferred treatment, let's just put it that way. They're given good treatment is because they are managing the social profiles of every single bureaucrat in Singapore. It doesn't matter if you're opposition party, main party, uh, top level executive, You all of you will have a public Facebook page that you can make posts and people will comment. And so Facebook's role in Singapore is that probably they're given certain incentives to set it up here. When they set it up here, they'll be maintaining the pages of these bureaucrats. So definitely there'll be a liars inside the, the prime minister office that will tell the Facebook to post this post and ensure that the algorithm doesn't show the bad comments. It'll instantly just show what passes the filter. And let me tell you that most of these tech companies have AI already so sophisticated that they will not want to roll it out to the public. Because ultimately, right, AI is a proprietary software. It's only meant to be used in-house. It's not going to be rolled out as a commercial AI. And so if you guys are thinking that AI is going to rule the world, it is because these companies, when they build this AI, they no longer need hands and legs to operate it. They already have someone managing one particular system. It's usually the engine that built it. That's why you see where all the tech layoffs, right? The reason why they lay off is because they don't need the useless stuff anymore. 
the AI engineer that they hired has already replaced all their product managers, their operations manager, their technical consultants, their technical, their technical whatever manager that they have inside their overall corporate infrastructure. So the only ones that they need moving forward are AI engineers, data scientists, etc. etc. But very soon all these data scientists and data engineers will be replaced because the AI will be smart enough to get data from itself. Because it's really very simple when you think about computer systems. All you got to do is just set a certain date, you want certain things, and then you create a script. It's very simple, like Windows shell script. You can just generate reports that you want, and then you can launch a shell script to pull data from whatever you want to do. Put a script to it, a Python script. And it's, okay, this is too technical already. So that means that a lot of things that you want can be automated if you really want to. That means that if you are not automating things, it means that probably you just look at it as a job. Because most engineers that I know or who have worked with in the past, they have really automated everything. The only time that they are required to be there is for a meeting where we have to fly in to a certain country and discuss stuff. Everything else is very automated. The real development is actually moving very slowly. Let's just put it that way. And so that means that in the past, with meta-managing all these ministers' profiles, it's no common use because TikTok, all this stuff, take the TikTok band that I mentioned last week. Chatbots must hold the party line, right? That means that companies that are building chatbots, it will be designed in a way where we only portray information that the party wants. So think about it this way. Every single AI company, right, will be given incentives to build it that way because they'll be getting recurring revenue from the government that pays them. They understand, right? The meta model. They come to Singapore, they, they, they manage the pages of these ministers and they'll be given a certain amount of incentives, you know, because they ensure that the politicians are looked in a good light. They do not want any negative stuff to be on the post that they post. So this is the same thing with AI. Every single tech company is the same. So that means that a tech company, right, to function, right, it cannot function in a free market economy. The reason why free market economies cannot have tech is because technological companies in the free market cannot really work because it requires you to go in development for three, five, ten 10 years. And if a company cannot operate without a profit, it is not a company, it's a zombie company. So it requires funding to keep it afloat. The only reason why tech companies in the past can hyperscale and look today with all these zombie companies that are running today, the only reason why they can operate is because of CIRP, right? Zero interest rate policy. It's a monetary phenomenon because of Keynesians in the central banks. The only reason why tech companies can exist because of 0% is a 0% rate, 0% interest rates. That means that financial companies have no incentives to invest in bonds or to invest in things that can give them a yield of like 4 to 8%. So instead, they'll be taking this money and speculating on tech companies, on startups that have pie in the sky, lofty goals that they want to accomplish. And of course, anybody would, right? It's the same thing as Tulip Mania, it's the same thing as Bitcoin, it's repeating itself. And so that means that all these valuations, they can value the company at like a million dollars, $10 million just by someone buying a 10% stake for 100K or $1 million respectively. So that's how tech companies function. And so all these tech companies, right, because they no longer have to turn a profit to the private sector in a free market economy sense, AI companies are not really free market per se. They are, they only can exist in a central planning society. So AI companies will 
wipe out if they cannot turn a profit, if they cannot turn a profit within three to five years. So that means that the only way that AI companies or tech companies can move forward or ESG companies can move forward with their crazy ESG tracking stuff is government business. Because government business is the only way these companies can function. Because without government business, right, these companies, they cannot turn a profit, right? They can't hire employees. They can't expand. They can't do all that. And government business is always the best because they are backed by their central bank, which can issue them free money, print money, by their national budget every year to ensure that it runs. Because if you leave the AI company to the free market, right, no sound investor will put their money in there. It's not turning a profit. And as many people say, if it doesn't pay a dividend, it's not a business. So AI companies are not essentially businesses. Think of it as they are quasi-nationalized technological firms that pose as a private company without the scrutiny of, uh, of getting their, their, their stuff audited because they are a private company. So you see the way that private companies function with AI. And that's why I believe that all these AI companies, right, the only reason why they are alive is because of the recurring revenue that governments are giving them to ensure that they told the line to create chatbots that make them in a good light. And when you do your research into all these AI companies, you realize that it's always the same trend. These guys are insiders. These guys are always affiliated with certain organizations. This guy is the son of certain bureaucrat. This guy is... Get what I mean? The, the, the whole rabbit hole goes so deep to the point in which... It's just mind-boggling that tech companies have changed their original intent, which is to create productivity. Now they're just money holes. They're just inflationary stimulus stuff. Because you think about it, right? Technology is supposed to be granting people more productivity. But instead now, we have to expand the money supply just to keep all these zombie companies afloat, which doesn't make sense. So this is a really, very troubling thing. And I believe that with the current rate hikes, all this with Jerome Powell, which is our next segment, with him rising interest rates, I believe that there will be a massive, massive, massive big overhaul that's coming in the next few months. How bad will it be? I'm not too sure. Because I know, know that since I'm living in Singapore, it doesn't really affect me as much. So before I get into the next topic, let me have a sip of water before we carry on. All right. And so the topic that we're going to talk now is Powell, Jerome Powell, duped by Russian pranksters posing as Zelensky. Okay, this, this title writes itself. You all know why? Because this just shows how mismanaged public bureaucracies have become or big companies have become. Because if you think about it, right, how are you going to dupe a public official to giving a speech by pranksters? It means that the security team has some form of lapse. It means that this security team, security team is not up to date with certain things. And this goes to show that when it comes to big organizations, they have become incredibly mismanaged. And think about it in the future. When deepfakes become part of our reality, that means that deepfakes, as it is, will be more sophisticated than pranksters. Because pranksters right now, how can they prank someone to believe that they are who they want to be? Because these pranksters pose as Zelensky, and this is not the first time that this thing has happened. So that means that deepfakes, with how sophisticated they will be in the future, will be able to inflict at least 10 to 100 times more damage than these pranksters can be. 
Because in my previous episode, I did talk about how deep fakes are going to be used by criminal organizations or, or organizations that lie in the gray area where they operate in a way in which they just want to turn a profit without so much of any moral repercussions and all that. So imagine a security company or a security team that is so lax in big organizations. And imagine that because these guys are most likely bureaucrats or civil servants, they are not incentivized to work as hard as a private sector person. So that means that this issue is going to be compounded even more moving on into the future. That means that this thing about deep fix is going to be even, even larger. Because tell me how the security team is going to detect a deep fake where they themselves can't even detect whether the prankster is real or not. And most people are not even prepared for the future. You look around you, most people are not even aware that deep fakes are going to be that big of a deal. But you can't blame them, right? To them, they have to pay off their mortgage, they have to take care of their family, they have to worry about what Kim Kardashian is doing on a weekend, they have to worry about what new cat video is going out, they have to worry about what's the latest fast fashion trend that they have to partake in to the point in which my sibling has told me that many people nowadays just put on a uniform it's no different from going to school which is very common you see most people just wearing Uniqlo wearing Zara wearing H&M they don't even go out of the way to innovate or create new stuff to wear most people nowadays are wearing yoga pants and wearing sports bras everywhere they go and there was one video in which a guy shared about a woman walking down the street wearing a dress and nice hat and many she got many stairs compared to those ladies who are wearing their yoga pants. It's really a night and day kind of thing. And this is very prevalent in society today when most people have not done their research or actually checked into how... Okay, they think the AI is bad, right? But they don't see the good and the bad when it comes to it. The good with AI is that it's exposing humans for being as useless as they are today. They, they've really forgotten how in the past we need to work under the hot sun to get the food on the table. We need to go to well to get water. Now everything is like instantaneous. Unless you're living in some rural part in Asia or Europe or America, you're still involved with the day-to-day activities of ensuring you have food on the table. <laughs> but now, with many inhabitants living in cities, their entire lives have been downsized to the point where they only care about one thing, money. They only care about how they can spend it, how they can flaunt it, how they can not live lives of purpose anymore. Now they're just living lives based on what society has them to live. And ultimately, when AI becomes commonplace in society, what will happen? These guys will no longer be able to enjoy their lives anymore. They will no longer be given paid. They're not going to get paid for the work that they do. They're going to be exposed for being useless. And the bad thing is that, the bad thing about deep fakes about AI is that it will usher in a new era. Because let me tell you, a lot of things are already planned in the shadows. A lot of things that you see in reality today has already been planned for ages. When I say planned for ages, I many would say it's a bad thing, it's a good thing, etc. To me, is it a bad thing or is it a good thing? Let me tell you something. The eventual end game that they want you to have is the metaverse. But I do know that that thing is a bit far-fetched. It might come later, 10 years down the road. Yes, it will be 10 years down the road. But the big thing they want people to usher in is universal basic income. They want you to live a life where you don't have to work. And this thing has really been social engineered into our psyche. The end game of deepfakes with AI is to show how humans will no longer need to be able to work the jobs that they have because everything has been done by technology. So instead, humans can only focus or only need to focus on 
ensuring that things get run. They're going to be run. They're going to be having maintenance jobs or jobs in healthcare, jobs in, in the lab, making lab grow neat. And you each of all oh, they will be equal because the end game of socialism is equality for all, or the control of the many by the by the few. You get why? Okay, I'm probably butchering that. And UBI will be seen as the ultimate stimulus. So that means that in the future, people don't have to save, people don't have to invest because you'll be given a monthly paycheck. Cash flow, right? It's the ultimate form of cash flow without even earning it. And this can only be propagated if everything is controlled by a centralized authority with deep fix, AI, singularity, everything built up in the entire ecosystem. And when the UBI gets introduced, many people will take it. Because think about it nowadays. Most people don't want to work hard anymore. They just want to just work their job and that's about it. So imagine a future where you're given a house, you're given food, you're given shelter, you're given every good stuff that you need from the powers that be. And all you got to do is just conform. All you got to do is just show up to the lab, make a cockroach burgers, boom, 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 that's it. Game over. You can just go back home. Easy, right? It's, it's uh, the path of this resistance. People will take it. They'll look around them. Oh, defects have replaced me. Oh, look around them. AI has replaced me. But they don't think about solutions outside the box. They think about their problems. They don't think about solutions. And when the government gives them the solution, when the central planners give them a solution, when the technocrats give them a solution of UBI, what would they do? They'll accept it. Because they don't want to fight back. They just want someone to tell them what to do. Most people are just happy you just go to school, get a job, etc. So when UBI comes along, they'll just take it. Hook, line, and sinker. Boom. Easy. That's the future of what the world will be. And the final topic of today, which I might cover in detail in a future episode, European CBDC widely available and easy to use. I've covered in length in a previous episode on how the Singapore Pay Now Pay Last system works. You might want to check it out in the in the description box below. I'll, I'll link a link to that video. So I have a inclination of how this system will work. You'll pretty much be the same as the Fed Now system. But one thing you have to understand about CBDCs is that in the past, I used to think that it infringes on your freedoms. It allows you to spend what you can spend. Yes, but there's always an alternative, cash. But the only way that CBDC system will work is if they totally remove credit cards, debit cards, cash, and check, and coins, of course. The only way CBDC system will work if they totally eradicate every single other other form of payment except for the QR code payment. Will it happen? I don't think it will. Because you have to understand that cash is only legal tender. It's the same as digital euro, digital USD. Because look at it, look nowadays, most people are not even using cash. They're just using their credit card, debit card, uh, cash and check. They don't even use cash. They don't even carry in their wallets. They just carry card. They use their Apple Pay, their Google Pay, their whatever pay. So that means that in the future, the transition to CBDC might be simple because most people are not using cash. But is it really going to be as easy as, is it going to be as easy as telling people no longer use cash, please just use QR code? I don't think it'll be that simple. In Singapore, it works this way is because we accept every form of payment until everybody realizes that the pay now, pay last system is much simpler, which is the future UE, future European CBDC system. So the adoption will be slow. Will it infringe your liberties? It might will. It will be because 
their intended plan is for you to spend on things that they want you to spend. A programmable dollar, right? They only want to allow you to spend on things that they want you to spend. But that will come later on. They can't introduce it when guys like me, guys who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s are still alive. There's no way that they will accept such a system. Can you imagine if they walk up and they want to use their CBDC to pay for steak and it's, and it's rejected? What do you think will happen? There'll be massive uproar. People will scream. You think they're going to sit there and just allow it to happen? That's one thing I don't understand with the, the pro-freedom pro boys. They're saying, oh, it's going to infringe your freedoms. It probably not happen. It probably happen later on. It's part of a design spec, but it's not made the main spec. The main spec is to use the digital dollar. And that's about it. So you think about it this way. The whole point is to make you transition from cash, from credit card, to using this QR payment system. Whatever comes from a consequence from that is because of mass adoption. So we, will be go we are going to be taking a damn long route towards that intended outcome, which is them controlling what we spend. And it probably take many, many years. And especially Europe. You think this is going to work in Europe? I've been there many times. I've been to many parts of Europe. And I can tell you that the UBU, the EU CBD system will not work. You're only going to work in cities. Because you look at the citizens there, you look at the way that mean, many different nationalities, many different religions, many different cultural differences. You think they're just going to grip out their phone and use the QR code? My goodness, the people that don't even trust the euro, they don't even trust their own currency, they don't even trust their own government. So if you think that the, the whole world is going to suddenly usher in a CBDC system, these guys are just selling you freaking stink oils, man. Especially when it comes to bricks. You think that people are going to use bricks? Really, man. Like, I do know that recently they just announced that, that the Chinese yuan has become the most traded currency recently. If I'm not mistaken, let me take a look at the article again. They said that uh, the Chinese yuan... Hold on, give me a second. Yuan overtakes dollar to become most used currency in China's cross-border transactions by Reuters. Let's see. Uh. So that means that... Okay, one big reason why they're using it is because if I'm not mistaken, the Shanghai Gold Exchange allows you to, to instantly get gold from your transaction, which is pretty good. Yeah, uh, yes, correct. Data from SWIFT showed that the yuan's share of global currency transactions for trade finance rose to 4.5% in March, while the dollar accounted for 83.71%. Well, the dollar is still 83.71%. So what does it tell you? You still have a long ways to go. People are still going to use USD because they're still used to it. The people who are telling you about BRICS are the same as me. We are aware of such a system, but whether or not it changes overnight still remains a question. So that's all I have for today's video. I don't think that I'll be recording any other podcast because I'll be going on a business trip to Japan real soon. But if I do, then congratulations, you have content to watch for the next two weeks. I'll try to segment it into smaller videos so you guys can watch it. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Get my book, Broke Capitalist, if you want to find out more what the future holds. And that's all I have for today. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Broke Capitalist, out.